Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Let me ask you all a question. What do you believe makes a truly exceptional leader? Now, we're all leaders. You can make the choice whether or not you want to be a good one or you want to be a bad one. That was taught to me by one of my very first guests, Andrew Scipioni. And I have forever cherished that wisdom uh, and forever will because every single day that I wake up, I am mindful of the fact that I am leading my own life as well as people are looking up to me. And I am mindful of this fact because it's important for making a positive impact or difference in the hearts and lives of not just yourself, but those people around you. I want to be remembered as someone that led people in the right direction as best as I could. And I've always been interested in this topic of leadership because, like I was saying, what makes a good leader? You know, that's a massive, massive question that has multi, multi layers to it. And my guest today is actually a very special guest. He is someone that is going to help us all understand the no bullshit leadership approach of cutting through all the noise and all the rubbish that oftentimes is associated with proper leadership. He also happens to be my uncle through marriage. His name is Martin G. Moore, or he goes by Marty. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, Marty is the former CEO of CS Energy. When he took on this role, the company was saddled with massive debt and deliberating commercial issues. Within five years, he had grown earnings from, get this, $17 million to a whopping $441 million, a compound annual growth rate of 125%. That's incredible. After a 33-year-long career in which Marty worked his way up from an entry-level position in software development to later becoming the CIO, an SVP, and a head of strategy, Marty traded in his corner office for an enriching career as a leadership performance expert at Your CEO Mentor, the business he co-founded with his daughter, Emma Green, who happens to also be my cousin through marriage. Emma, you're amazing. Just wanted to make sure everyone knows that. Thank you so much for all your support and your incredible enthusiasm uh, for what I do and for making this conversation happen with Marty today. Marty also developed Leadership Beyond the Theory, a global training program geared towards sharing his insights and wisdom with the world's top executives in conjunction with his brand new book of the same title. Uh, Marty also hosts the brilliant podcast that I love as well called No Bullshit leadership a weekly leadership podcast has been downloaded more than 1.7 million times to date his brand new book with the same title no bullshit leadership is available right now for you guys to go and get a copy of and i highly recommend this book uh, it is a great read there is so much 
So much wisdom and insight in this book that you all need to glean from and take in into your own life and actually use to lead the very best life you possibly can and also to help others too. So make sure that you grab a copy. All links are in the show notes below for you. Uh, I really, really did enjoy this conversation and there are some things in here that I believe all of us need to take away and apply to our own lives to become better leaders, okay? Also, the book No Bullshit Leadership became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, which is no easy thing to do, by the way. It came at number two on the list, and it's going to go strong. I had all the faith in the world that this was going to happen. I just believed that it would. (laughs) Uh, But congratulations, Marty and Emma, for all your hard work and for everything that you are doing and putting out there into the world. It's amazing. You have a huge fan here of me and, and you always will. So my friends, go and support Emma and Marty and their incredible incredible work. Uh, I know they'll be super, super appreciative of you guys for doing that. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the story of none other than your CEO mentor himself, Martin G. Moore. Hey, Jay, thank you so much, mate. And it's great to be here. Might I just put in one minor correction in the intro? I'm actually the co-founder of Your CEO Mentor, which I founded with my daughter, Emma Green. And Emma is actually the CEO. Um, as she likes to tell me, I'm the talent and she runs the business. Uh, and calling me the talent, the irony is not lost on me. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, having a business with Emma is the joy of my life. We've been in business together for three years and we just love what we're doing. So uh, I just thought I'd clear that up and give Emma a big shout out. I, f- I can't believe I did not shout out Emma. Like, what's going on with me? Emma, I do apologize <laughs> if you're listening to this. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for all your help. <laughs> Isn't she? Uh, I cannot believe I did that. Uh, I'm going to regret that, say- <laughs> not saying it no. for, for ages, but I'm glad you cleared that up for me. But, Marty, it's really, really great to have you on the show. Um, I have one particular question that I love asking all my guests at the very, very start. I know you've listened to uh, some of my conversations in the past, which is great. So you already know what's coming, but what does success look like for you? Yeah, success for me looks like, and and this might even sound like I prepared for this one, Jay, so let's let's go. Um, (laughs) Success for me, I found out a number of years ago that I'm driven by impact. That's, that's the word I use. I'm driven by impact. Success for me is having as broad, wide, and deep an impact on the world as I possibly can. Mm. And for me, it's the world of leadership. Um, at the time I actually discovered what drove me, uh, it wasn't so much uh, that I knew how I was going to manifest this thing, what, what it was going to take form in terms of its shape. But over time, uh, it obviously arrived at the fact that I'd learned a few things about leadership. And I had something to give and I'd tested this stuff in the field, right? So I'm not a theorist. I'm not an academic. Um, I'd actually won this through quite hard fought experience and through trial and error worked out what works the best and what doesn't. Um, And I paid a lot of attention to people and the people's side of this and what drove people and what made people tick and what made them excel. When was the moment for you more specifically that you realized that you wanted to make an impact in the world more in line with leadership, making better leaders in the world. Is there a particular story around that? Well, I think there's a succession of stories, Jay, around seeing examples of very poor leadership in large organizations and that fueling me and driving me to say, surely it can't be like this. And in all walks of life, in politics, in business, in uh, associations and sporting clubs, we see a dearth of leadership that has a significant toll on the people of those organisations who are being led. And so I, I just had this burning desire to do something about that. And as CEO of a major multi-billion dollar organisation in Australia, I had an opportunity to impact a bunch of people. Mm. But what I realised over time was that even if I could impact the most people possible from my CEO office, maybe it was only going to be 100 people and 50 of those don't even want to be impacted. Yeah. And so for me, and of course with Emma's encouragement, and I'm, I'm using encouragement as a euphemism for cajoling, badgering, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and she pushed me to say, come on, Dad, you can do something more. You've got amazing talent, amazing skill, and amazing knowledge, and we need to find a way to take that to the world. 
So mm. I credit her with that final little push over the edge that I needed to do what I'm doing now. So she was persistent. <laughs> she kept na- nagging you. Yes, she was over a period of time. And and she rode through it with me. You know, from my perspective, it was, oh, okay, well, that sounds good. I, maybe it'll be a side gig. Maybe it, maybe I'll have a side hustle and I can just do some podcasts on the weekend and still run a big company. Um, but, uh, you know, as she said to me, Dad, what, what advice would you give to someone you were mentoring if yeah. they were talking about this? And I thought about it and I said, well, I'd tell them to, you know, burn the boats, go for it, go hard for what you're after, go hard for what you love and don't leave an escape hatch, like go for it. And she said, okay, well, there you go. Take your own advice. (laughs) How long did it actually take you to make that decision and go all in with your CEO mentor? Uh, It was probably a period of uh, six to 12 months. Wow. So, so six to 12 months before I decided that rather than it being something I do on the side, that it was something that I was going to dedicate the rest of my life to. Uh, and what's the worst that can happen, right? Mm. Uh, as I said to her, if if what we produce is shit and no one wants it, then I'll go back and get another CEO job. Yeah. Um, but it's really a case of, you know, when you're making a move like this, all of my instincts said, this is a pretty dumb move to make. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm going into one of the most crowded markets on the planet, which is leadership development. And there are no barriers to entry. So from a strategic perspective and me being sort of fairly strategic thinker in terms of my corporate career, uh, to go into something like that was was a pretty big stretch. Mm. So if you were to, you know, you mentioned that you're going to give your, the advice that you would give to younger self or even young people that you would be mentoring is burn all the boats and just go for it. How come you kind of were a bit hesitant, it sounds like, for six to 12 months to actually start your CEO mentor? What do you think was kind of holding you back the most? Oh, the stories we tell ourselves, Jay, probably more than anything else. (laughs) Uh, Let me use this analogy that a friend of mine used to use, Um, the spider monkey. If you put an orange inside a jar with a tight lip, the spider monkey will put its hand in and it'll grab the orange. But the rim of the jar isn't large enough to let it get its arm back out and it's stuck there. By the same token, the spider monkey will not let go of the orange. Yeah. So I had a spider monkey problem, right? I had a fantastic life, great job, plenty of money, great friends, very comfortable lifestyle. I had all of the stuff that people look at and they go, gee, Artie's got a nice life. Uh, and, And that's the enemy of doing something great. Because if you've got something that's really, really good, then taking the step to say, okay, I'm going to risk that and I'm going to risk it heavily to go and do something completely different that may or may not work out. Uh, And there's all sorts of stuff around status, identity, all those sorts of things go against making a move like that. And I guess to top it off, I'd been telling myself a story in my head for years that I'm not the entrepreneurial type. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm someone who's much more conservative in terms of my personal risk profile and being an entrepreneur might be too risky for me. So all of that sort of combined. um, And when I thought it through, obviously with Emma's help and a very, very important person, Rachel Vickery, who was my high performance coach uh, between the two of them, they got me over the line, which I'm really grateful for. So can you, before we dive further into more leadership principles and all that sort of stuff, I want to give my audience a little bit of context from where you came from and how you actually got to becoming your CEO mentor and writing this incredible book, No Bullshit Leadership, and then doing the podcast, all those things. So where did you actually begin? I mean, I believe you're from uh Sydney, Australia, is that correct? And then you you went into university and you had all these career options presented in front of you, or is is that was a non-linear approach? Uh, well, it certainly became non-linear fairly quickly. The, the start of my life was very linear. Um, I was brought up in a family, uh, five children, loving parents. My parents valued education highly. And they basically sacrificed anything that they could have got for themselves personally so that they could give the five of us the very best education that money could buy. Mm. Uh, I went to one of Sydney's top private schools. When I got out of there, I'd qualified for uh, any uh, degree course in any university in the country because I had outstanding results from school. Uh, So I chose to do a combined law degree at the University of Sydney. I was going to be a lawyer. And then I went about squandering that opportunity Um, pretty rapidly. So I found that uh, coming out of the structure of an all-boys boarding school and going into the completely 
the unstructured environment of tertiary education at a leading university, uh, I just didn't cope well. And I was socially very immature and I really struggled to adapt. Yeah. Um, I discovered beer, rugby and dating, and that was sort of my three majors. Mm. So um, <laughs> after that, I decided to take some time off to sort of get my head together and decide what I wanted to do and finally got into software development. So I started my career as an IT guy. There is hope for everyone. Mm. Any, any of you listening out there, I was, I was doing IT software development and coding well before it was trendy, well before it was the thing that people would happily say at a barbecue. Is the OG. Um, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, from there, from there things had their natural course. Uh, I got a job developing software with a large bank. I moved into consulting, uh, then into project management. And then I got my first C-level appointment as chief information officer of a mining company uh, a bit over 20 years ago uh, and, and moved to Brisbane for that. So, right. uh, so my career since then has been pretty adaptive. Uh, I've been in mining, insurance, transport and logistics and energy. And I've had roles as a CIO, a CFO, a head of sales and marketing and a head of strategy before my chief executive role. So getting that, that variety of experience really enabled me to home in on what's common, what, what can you do to create value in any circumstance and in any environment, yeah. and how do you actually get the most out of people? Because I wasn't a, an expert in any of these industries in particular. So I had to learn really to extract value from the people around me and how to get the best out of them, not just give the best of myself. Yeah. I want to come back to getting the best out of people in just a moment, but I want to go into experience and, and hone in on that for a, for a little bit and ask you, speaking about experience, you had a lot of it. So do you believe that in order to become a great leader, people need to have more experience than someone else? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, uh, to answer that, let me try a couple of things. The first thing is that there's a very big difference between 20 years experience and one year's experience 20 times over. Yes. So it's really about the quality of the experiences you have and how, uh, how big the stretch is, how large the challenges are, and how rapidly you grow. Yeah. And so I've seen people who've gone through rapid growth and by the time they're in their early 30s, they, they're nailing it. They are absolutely nailing it. And I've seen others who are 65 and if they work to be 165, they would still not get it. Yeah. So, so it really does depend on quality and focus, I think. Why do you think that some people are better at, lead, at leadership skills or, yeah, than other people are? So you've got 65-year-olds that really aren't great at it and you got, say, a 30 or 25-year-old that are better at it. Why do you think that that is? Uh, there's a range of things. Uh, a lot of it is wrapped up in identity. Yeah. And a lot of people who go into leadership roles can't let go of their technical identity. So you'll see CFOs who are still fundamentally finance people. Yeah. And they think in terms of finance and they focus on finance and they value their finance skill. And it's not to say that the finance skill is unimportant. What it is to say, though, is that they don't see themselves as being professional leaders. Yeah. And in this transition, seeing yourself as a professional leader and valuing that as something that you do and something that you offer to the organisation you're working for is something that really makes a big difference. And yeah. so you start working on different things instead of just trying to keep the technical side of your job right. You pay attention to what you're doing in terms of leadership. You pay attention to people you pay attention to improvement in performance and you do it the right way. So this can take a, a long time to master. It really can. Um, but focus of attention, I think, is the critical thing. Now, some people are more naturally inclined to it than others. Um, and to be a really good leader, you do need to learn to go against the grain of some of the most fundamental drivers that you have. Yeah. So, for example, we're all, we're all brought up with the DNA chip that tells us we need to seek affiliation and acceptance. And as a leader, you can't afford to do that. Yeah. You've got to be okay with the fact that not everyone's going to like you and you've got to make hard decisions and move forward anyway. Mm. And so wrapping your head around those things, the earlier you can do it, the better. And so if I could give this book that I've just written to every high school in the country uh, in, in the US and say, that is required reading before you can step out into the world, I think it'd actually be pretty useful. Yeah. 
what was the biggest risk that you took within your family setting? Uh, well, I guess probably <laughs> dropping out of university. Mm. By the way, my parents, God rest their souls, were both very, very good about it when I chose to go down a different path. Uh, but they must have been quietly apoplectic inside uh, when I when I showed such, you know, cavalier disregard for the process of education and going out and getting a, a degree and becoming a professional, you know, doctor, lawyer or whatever. Um, so probably the biggest, the biggest challenge and the biggest decision I made that went against the grain was to break away from expectation. Yep. And breaking away from expectation, whether it's your family expectation or societal expectation, is incredibly difficult, um, but also, I think, uh, completely necessary. It's almost a prerequisite for success. Yeah. How do we break away from the expectations that you yourself have on yourself or other people might have on you? Oh, that is such a good question. Um, it's, it's the expectations you have on yourself that are, of course, the hardest by far yep. to break away from. And whereas we'd all like to be seen as being, you know, wonderful people, great leaders, wonderful parents, uh, great friends, um, that's that's only half the story. And we can we can fudge that a lot. We can we can get by. We can we can skate through. When it comes to our own expectations, we can't run and hide from those. And it comes to that mastery of what goes on in the six inches between your ears. Yeah. That's where that's where this battle is fought. It is absolutely a mental game and it's absolutely about being okay with who you are, knowing who you are deeply and not believing your own bullshit yeah. and making sure that you are comfortable in your own skin. And every morning when you look in the mirror, you go, yep, I know who you are and I like who you are yeah. and I'm ready to go out and do something special today. Yeah. And I don't know many people can actually do that comfortably. No, you're right. It's a very difficult thing. And you actually mentioned before the stories that we tell ourselves. It is so oh, easy yeah. for us to have quite a negative story within ourselves. And that quite oftentimes makes us bad leaders of ourselves. Because one thing that Andrew Scipioni taught me very early on was that everyone is a leader. You can make the choice whether or not to be a good one or a bad one. He wasn't just saying that, you know, you can be a good leader for other people to see. He's talking about you yourself. You can be a good leader for yourself in your own life, or you can be a bad one and lead yourself down the wrong path. And so I've taken that on board with everything that I do, not just leading my own life forward, but also how I show up for other people too. And I want to make sure that people know that the story that they tell themselves is so valuable with how they show up in the world first and foremost, but also how they feel and the kind of leader that they will become or are becoming. So I wanted to ask you, Marty, in terms of um, why people, I guess, make leadership or the whole concept of leadership so damn complicated. Why do you think that is? Well, I think like anything, uh, the people who are expert in that thing like to put a bit of mystique around it. Yeah. This is what increases their value in that market. So in the IT industry, it was an absolute given that technical people would use a lot of jargon and they were happy that it seemed complicated to those around them. Yeah. So you've got engineers of all types. You've got people who are highly technical in their profession. They love to have the cover of a highly technical, hard to understand thing. And a lot of the leadership stuff does that. Now, of course, when we swing the pendulum the other way, as it's been for quite some time, we also see that it's grossly oversimplified at times. And so we talk about the virtuous attributes of great leaders. So great leaders need to be humble. Yeah. Great leaders need to be fallible and so forth. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't get me wrong here. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The trouble is it's such an oversimplification that it doesn't tell the story. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like it should be true. Mm. When, when I say to you, Jay, if you're a leader, mate, you need to be humble. Yeah. You're going to go, well, of course I do. <laughs> because it sounds, it sounds like it should be true. Mm. But how's this? If you're humble but you're indecisive, that is completely disastrous as a combination. Yeah. If you're humble and decisive, hey, that's awesome. It's like rocket fuel. But if you're humble and indecisive, your people are screwed. You can't run a team. Yeah. Same with fallibility. You know, if you're if you're fallible and you demonstrate fallibility and you're competent, oh, that's rocket fuel. Your people are going to love that. They'll get behind you and you will drive that team to success. Yeah. 
But if you're fallible and incompetent, you'll lose their confidence really, really fast. They won't follow you. They don't follow someone who's incompetent, even if they're fallible, and especially if they're fallible. Um, It just makes them feel insecure about what's going on. So we listen to these things and we don't hear the whole story. So my whole thing with no bullshit leadership is let's just cut through all this crap. Let's talk about the real things that make a real difference. And in fact, I open every chapter with a little section, as you know, called The Bullshit We Believe. Yeah. And uh, big shout out to Dr. Nick Morgan, my mentor through this process. That was his idea to actually start a chapter with those things. Uh, And it made such a difference, right? Because it gave me the opportunity to have a little bit of fun with these common axioms and cliches that we all believe and sign up to without even thinking about it. Yeah. And it gives me the opportunity to say, well, okay, you've probably heard this. You may believe it, but here's why it's complete bullshit. Mm. Was it difficult for you to actually write this book, put all the, all the knowledge in your mind onto paper? Because it's, diff- it's different when you actually say it compared to when you actually write it down. Was it difficult for you? Uh, it's a good question, Jay, because as I say to people, the writing process was both much easier and much more difficult than I expected. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but the difficult bits were different difficult than I'd thought and, and vice versa. I think the thing about it was that uh, I'm fortunate because my superpower, if I have one, is to be able to take massive amounts of complexity and strip it away and boil it down to its critical elements, the things that are most important in that. Yeah. And I spent a lot of years doing that as a leader, um, you know, senior leader in, in many large organizations. And so I, I learned to do that so effectively that I gained confidence in my skills and abilities in that area. And so when it came to writing, it probably evolved over uh, a two-year period through podcast episodes, through developing our leadership program called Leadership Beyond the Theory, yeah. uh, which we're having massive success with and really exposing leaders to a, a hardcore seven-week experience that really changes the way they do things. Yeah. Uh, and that's very much along the same lines as the book. So as, as Nick Morgan said to me, this isn't so much a creative process, the writing for you. It's more like you're filling buckets. Yep. You understand the structure. You've got to fill them with great words and great stories and good examples and put all of that stuff down on paper. But you know it. It's in you. It's already there and it's part of you. Okay. And so you're basically filling these buckets chapter by chapter, which was basically the process I went through. I know how hard it actually is to write a book. It is no easy thing. So congratulations <laughs> for actually you, writing Jack. it and getting it out there into the world. And also making a good book because like you can write a book that's yeah that's a challenge in itself but actually writing a damn good one that's another challenge as well so uh yeah very very well done and and look thank you and a lot of people help me and also uh it's out in the world right now obviously my daughter and business partner emma her specialization is marketing and that could be the best book on the planet and it never gets into anyone's hands yeah. So the job she's done with marketing and promotion and advertising and really making sure that it does have a presence, uh, everything from the design of how we do it through to social media and everything else, that's what gets the book out there. And so her role is just as important as mine in being the author and architect of, of, of the content. Um, and for me, you know, as we were talking about earlier on, I, I want to have impact. Yeah. And the way I have impact is by getting this book into more people's hands. That's it. What has Emma actually taught you about leadership that no one else has taught you? <laughs> She's reaffirmed a lot of stuff that I thought I knew, but I'm seeing it through different eyes. Um, I've had to mentor her on things that I think perhaps I haven't had to mentor people the same way because she is my daughter and we do have a no-holds-barred approach to our relationship and our conversations. And just by way of background, when I split with uh, M's mum back in the early 2000s, she came and lived with me as a single daughter and a teenager. So being a single single father to a teenage daughter who was very bright, very willful, <laughs> was, was a real challenge. But, you know, apart from those four years where apparently I completely lost um, any intelligence and uh, sense of judgment, uh, she was surprised how much I'd got that back by the time she turned 21. Mm. But, um, th- but it was, yeah, that experience was fantastic because we grew a very deep bond there. So we do have, you know, a very strong bond between us and we can have conversations that are probably 
deeper and more direct than I would with you know, people I would typically lead, even though I'm a pretty direct leader. I, I don't pull many punches. So um, so that was good. I'm, I'm sure I haven't quite answered your question about <laughs> what, what she talking about leadership, um, but she's reignited some things. So she's reignited in me the concept of um, just that uh, never say die work ethic, the never say die drive towards uh, a particular result you know we set a target and she she's just won't she won't back off it she's going to hit it yeah. uh, and that that to me sort of reinvigorated it whereas i'd become much more uh, philosophical about things <laughs> i guess in my old age you know sure we've set the target but it's okay it'll be what it'll be if yeah. we miss it we miss it because we're still going to do great and it's okay and it's going to happen for a reason yeah. and she's nah we're getting that target <laughs> so, which is great right so that's that sort of reinvigorated all of that in me, and it's probably made me um, think twenty years younger than I did when I when I went into business with her. Yeah, you guys are a dynamic duo. I have to say, you both complement each other very, very well, and the business has grown. I think because of both of your strengths as leaders, and it is exciting to actually see. I mean, Emma having conversations with her has been awesome because she's answered a lot of my questions. Uh, sorry, Emma, for for annoying you with all those, but too, but <laughs> uh, you, you guys. She loves it. Uh, absolutely uh, amazing. And so I just have to personally thank you both for all the assistance and help and the leadership that you have shown me because you've passed it down, which uh, is honestly, uh, I can't really speak too highly enough of that, um, which kind of leads me into my next question about providing value and, and passing that value down to team members so then they can get the best uh, or you can get the best from them. How do you go about, like, what are the, the tips and the strategies? I do believe that you share some of, a lot of them in the book actually, but what are some that you can simplify down for people that are listening to get the most out of either themselves or their team? Yeah, Jay, I think the, uh, the book does towards the end um, operationalize the sorts of skills we have. And it's, it's practical all the way through. And I, as you know, have those seven imperatives for being a strong and capable leader, starting with delivering value and handling conflict and so forth. But I think in the end, it comes down to spending deliberate time as a strong leader, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with the people you lead. There is no substitute for that. There's none. And so having a meeting cadence where you're talking about the things that are important. So for example, in the quest to create value, there are some principles that you need to adhere to and drive and um, exemplify, but you also need to have an expectation that that's what your people are going to do. And so you're constantly reinforcing things like excellence over perfection. Okay, we're not after perfection, we're after excellence. Perfection slows you down, it grinds you to a halt. It doesn't have to be perfect. Make a decision today that's 80% right, it's infinitely better than a decision next week that's 85% right. Keep moving. Momentum is much more important than you know, perfection, keep your momentum going, right? Yeah. Um, simplicity and focus. Don't try to do too much. We all try to do too much. Mm-hmm. And as a leader, it's all about talking about these things constantly yeah. to the leaders below you, right? Asking questions. What are you doing to simplify your work program? What can you get off your plate? What are the low value things that are distracting you from delivering the really high value stuff that we've agreed on? It's that constant focus and um, it's almost like being fanatical about creating value through pulling out stuff that doesn't make sense, through giving people a license to move faster, through doing a whole lot of things that are going to get you the results you need. And that only happens with conversations, a lot of of them, one-on-one, in teams, focusing with laser-like precision on results. That's how you get it. And, of course, the disciplines and habits you need as a leader all feed into that. How do you deal with or really manage more or less as a leader with difficult conversations with people? Because I have no doubt that you probably had a lot of difficult conversations in your in your life. So how do you go about making them less difficult? <laughs> uh, well, less difficult comes through um, just getting miles under the skis. It's, it's all about doing it enough that it starts to feel comfortable. You, you're going to feel comfortable, uncomfortable at first and you're going to be terrible. Just accept that. Uh, and as I like to say to people that I'm uh, either mentoring or people that I used to lead, when it comes to difficult conversations, don't worry. It's the only the first two or three hundred that are hard. 
after that, it starts to get really easy. <laughs> um, it's just about repetition. It really is. But this is why I say difficult conversations are 90% will and 10% skill. It's getting your head around why you should step into a difficult conversation when you can easily avoid it. And so you may recall in um, one of the early chapters, I think it's chapter three, I talk about the psychology of feedback and I give some tools for changing your perspective. Here's five lenses you can look through to encourage you to make the choice to step into a conversation as opposed to stepping away and avoiding it. And using those mental frames, I think is a big part of leadership to establish like, why am I doing this? Why is it important? And how do I exercise my duty of care to the people I'm leading? Yeah. Uh, it takes you out of your own head, uh, what it means to you. I'm afraid, I'm apprehensive, I'm, I'm uncertain, I'm fearful. And it puts you into other people's shoes where you can say, this person needs this message right now. I owe it to them to give them the opportunity to improve. Yeah. And if I don't do that, I'm negligent and I'm doing them a disservice. Yeah. And just that switch in psychology and thinking makes all the difference in the world. And then you step in and you have a really terrible conversation where you're shit and you go, oh, that didn't go well. I better get the skill going too. And, and the more you do, the more comfortable you become to the point where I can't remember when it happened to me, but a lot of years ago where I just didn't fear it at all. And any time I saw anything that needed a conversation, it was just a matter of, hey, Jay, pop in for a minute, mate. Let's have a quick chat. Yeah. And that was it. And it ceases to be threatening. And it ceases to be uh, something that creates apprehension or any sort of anxiety in you. Yeah. I remember, because I've had a lot of different, I guess you could say careers. And I remember every time my boss would say to me, hey, Jay, let's have a quick chat. I'd be like, oh, what have I done now? <laughs> Try and sort of process everything that I could have possibly done wrong, even though I haven't done anything wrong. Um, but it kind of leads me to my next question revolving around accountability and leadership too. Why is accountability so important for being a good leader? Well, accountability is really the key to execution, uh, I found out. And I couldn't work out for many years why uh, projects would run late, why things wouldn't get done, why they'd slip through the cracks, um, why there'd be overlaps in work programs. There were a whole lot of things I couldn't quite put my finger on. And there was one particular circumstance where I it just hit me like a pie in the face. Yeah. No one feels as though they're on the hook for this outcome. Mm -hmm. No one feels that sense of ownership. And so the ownership that comes with accountability, and particularly watching a lot of executives who had become masters at dodging accountability so that nothing landed on their desk, uh, but you know they also had the ability to step in when things went well and you know be there for the celebrations. Watching that made me understand quite profoundly what needs to happen in terms of accountability. And so I talk about this single point accountability all the time. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it in the book because that's where execution happens. And it's one head to pat and one ass to kick. Yep. So when I ask a question of any of my executives, who owns this? If I don't get a single name answer back immediately, it's wrong. They haven't got it set up properly. Uh, you know, when, when you're accountable for something, it releases a completely different energy. Yeah. You're committed, you're driven. You don't let issues just bumble along. You solve them. Yeah. And when problems arise or uh, circumstances change, you talk to your boss about them. Like it, it forces you to be an adult. And, and when you're a corporate adult, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So accountability really for me is the key to successful execution. So important. And as a leader, you've got to model that. You've got to eat your own dog food. Yeah. What would you say, Marty, has been your most vulnerable moment as a leader? Uh, well, I've probably had plenty of those. I think there've been quite a few times where I've been exposed in terms of being caught between different stakeholders. Uh, for example, there's been times when uh, a key joint venture partner of, of our company uh, went into administration, which yeah. made me very, very exposed because all of a sudden we're not dealing with our partner that we've known for many years. We're dealing with uh, administrators and you know a consortium of banks who are yeah. all looking to get paid out their uh, their money. Um, these exposures happen fairly regularly in business. When I say fairly regularly, every year or two, <laughs> they're going to happen. Um, some it's, it's probably the things that are most out of, out of control, out of my own control that expose me the most where I go, oh, I can't do anything about this. 
I've got to work out a plan because even though I can't impact this, I've still got to find a way to get the company through it or to get my division of the company through it. And so those exposures I managed to solve relatively quickly and they're great experiences for resilience building. Uh, And the the bigger the problems, the more exposure that they create for you, uh, the more fear they generate in you, the more confidence you get at the end of it when you realise, oh, hang on, I got through that. Um, I, I successfully worked my way through it. It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction, you know, where Samuel L. Jackson comes through the door and one of these kids unloads, you know, six cartridges and they all miss him. And he's just, you know, <laughs> oh, my God, how did that happen? Ooh, how good is this? Um, and uh, and it's, it's a bit like that sometimes where you think, oh, I was sure I was going to get hit by four of those six bullets, but um, here I am and I survived. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like anything is missing currently in your life? Missing in my life? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, my life's certainly in a state of flux because uh, I've just moved over to the US with my wife. Uh, we've been couch surfing now for <laughs> a good good six months probably. Uh, and shout out to all our wonderful friends um, who've been gracious and kind enough to have us um, spending some time with them in their homes. Um, but I think what's missing in my life now is a little bit of stability. I'm in the action and excitement and adventure phase, but at some point in time, Let's get the roots down. Let's just let's just let's just get a place where we're settled. Uh, Kathy and I, my wife, we're settled. We're we're together um, all the time. There's no one else around. We're just grounded. So I think I think I'm missing a bit of grounding, but it's a very very small price to pay uh, for the impact that I'm having. And I'm much less worried about that. Um, obviously, I don't have a huge amount of interest these days in material things. Um, it's awesome to have them. Don't get me wrong. It's great to have money. It's great to have nice stuff, uh, but that's much less important to me than than having the impact on people that I'm finding I can have. Yeah, I've got a couple more questions for you, Marty. If you don't sure. mind, really, really enjoy this conversation. I, I do oh, have sure. so many questions. I do want to ask you. <laughs> maybe we have to leave it for another time. But you have this amazing new book out called No Bullshit Leadership. I'm holding it up for people that if they are watching the video, they can go and get a copy anywhere books are sold. I believe in 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 America at the moment. Can they buy it in Australia? Uh, they can, yeah. So so we did um, ships and copies to Australia and there's the usual online retailers as well. There's Amazon, um, you know, um, Books A Million, like those sorts of stores will deliver. So uh, your online retailers or, you know, check our website at yourceomentor.com. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that everyone knows where to get a copy of the book. Honestly, I read a lot of books, as people know. And I haven't officially finished this one, but I'm over halfway and I'm absolutely loving the book. So congratulations, Marty, on making this and Emma too for helping as well. Um, I, I do want to ask you, what do you want people to get the most out of this book? If they were to turn to any page or chapter within the book, which one would you recommend that they turn to first? Yeah, I'd actually get them to turn to chapter one, which is called the problem with leadership. Yeah. And the reason I think that's so important is because that's what creates the appetite to read on. That's This is really the statement of if we don't understand what the problem is, then the solution is going to seem trite. Yeah. Um, and I think that that whole concept of why is this hard and why aren't there more great leaders yeah. and why do we satisfy ourselves that we can listen to all this fluff and bubble about leadership, all this, you know, motivational and inspirational stuff and then do absolutely nothing to change. And so that, that chapter basically dissects that problem in only 6,230 words. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and basically dissects that and and just has a problem statement. So that creates the appetite. And then the following chapters uh, will, will serve the meal. But, um, but I think it's really important to get your head around and accept and buy into the fact that we have a problem with leadership. That's, that's where I'd start for sure. Are you hopeful for the leaders coming up currently that you're seeing in the world around us? Oh, always, always yeah. extremely hopeful. Yeah. Uh, and my, my real hope and fervent desire is that, as I said before, if, if you can get leaders onto this earlier, it's fantastic. Yeah. What we found, though, with our business is that the, the sweet spot for us is sort of the mid-career leader and upwards And the reason for that is because until you've actually experienced the difficulties, you don't actually know what you don't know. And so you can get these first-time leaders who are, you know, as I was in my younger days, full of piss and vinegar, 
very, very confident, very arrogant. And and I thought, man, no problem, leadership. I'll wake you guys. I'll, I'll, I'll beat you guys into shape. Don't you worry about that. We're going to have an awesome team. Uh, and I had no idea how wrong I was and how bad I was and how far off the mark I was. And so it took me some failures and the experience of those before I thought, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> I can't just pick this up naturally. I better learn a bit about it. Mm. So yeah, for me, it's for me, it's get, getting that into people's hands so that at the right time, they can actually start to adopt some of these principles that will make them better leaders because it affects everyone. Yeah. And as you'd know from your podcast, you must get a lot of messages about how you're making a difference in people's lives. And whenever we get a message that says, not only am I a better leader, but I'm a better parent and I have a better relationship with my children. And I have, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you, you read things like that and you go, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm here. That's, that's making a real difference in the world. Yeah. So uh, I know I get a little bit overexcited about it when I talk about it, Jay. But <laughs> you're allowed to. <laughs> I, well, I know, I know, I know, and I do have, I do have a really, really deep passion for this stuff because uh, there's nothing, nothing better. This, it's priceless to see someone uh, change on the basis of something that you've been able to put into the world. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just love that. And you can, you can honestly tell, like from the way you talk and from the work that you do put out, and going back to the very beginning when you said. You're all about impact. You're really making a huge dent in the world. And that for me, especially like being able to see the growth and just support in a little way has been amazing. Like I'm, I'm a little part of your story, which is an honor for me to, to actually have. Um, and no doubt, like when, when I get messages from people that have been touched by amazing stories that I have no doubt, I'll get messages from your one too. I'll, I get excited because that is like the be one of the best feelings in the world. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So Absolutely. if you could, uh, here's two more questions for you, Marty. If you could ask a question to any leader alive or dead, who would you want to ask? Why? And what questions about leadership would you want to ask them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Gee, the, the first five that came to mind, I probably can't use. <laughs> I, like to, I, like to, I, like to, I like to stay away from politics. I, I, won't, I won't mention a name, but I know what the question would be, and I would apply this to a number of different people, and the question would be, what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? And, uh, you know, one, one in particular, I do use this example in the book, is uh, Tony Hayward, who was chief executive of British Petroleum when the uh, Deepwater Horizon uh, spill happened in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and he came out famously in that press conference and said, well, I don't know what you're also upset about. I want to get my life back. <laughs> and that was just one of those things where, you know, it doesn't matter how well you've done your media training or what your public relations advisors are telling you. It's one of those things that just comes out under a stress situation. Yeah. Uh, and Tony's one guy I'd just love to sit down with over a nice glass of red in his offices in St. James Square in London and say, oh, what were you thinking? <laughs> I, I would want to be there for that conversation <laughs> honestly um but my this is my all-time favorite question i love asking all my guests at the very end it is a hypothetical question and i want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100 your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done don't ask me how in the world they got it all we'll just call it magic for the sake of argument but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday what do you want that film to say and to show about your life uh i i think probably the only way to describe it is that i made a difference and I'd like the film to be warts and all. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like there to be for every five wonderful moments where I've been able to impact someone positively, I'd also like a couple of those cringeworthy things where I look back at and I shake my head and I go, oh, <laughs> and to myself, Marty, what were you thinking? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd like all of that because I think, I think it's that balance, yeah. that balance of, yeah, doing mostly good and being comfortable with who you are and what you're doing, but also to recognise that, you know, we're, we're humans, we're deeply flawed and those flaws are going to come out occasionally. Yeah. And sometimes I'll say things and as soon as the words are out of my mouth, I go, 
oh, that was such a dumb thing to say. Uh, and I still do it today. You know, you, that, that's not something you grow out of over time. But I'd, I'd like to see a warts and all compilation of, of the things I've done in my life. And I'd like to sit there being very satisfied that there's a hell of a lot more good than bad and that the people around me, the people that are closest to me, hold me in high esteem and regard. And those who don't know me as well actually were able to live better because of me. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, put it this way, there's not going to be a photo of my, you know, BMW 4 Series in there. Do you know what I mean? Like that's when you get to 100, yeah. uh, probably when I got to 50, <laughs> that, that stuff's just unimportant. It's just unimportant. It makes no difference. It makes no difference to you. It makes no difference to anyone else. And so I think that the thing for me is about uh, acquisition of great relationships and people that I've made a difference to in their lives uh, with all my failings. Perfect send-off message for everyone listening and watching today. Martin G. Moore, thank you so much for your time today, sir, your energy, your wisdom, and all the advice that you're passing on to the next leaders of today. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. Uh, Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.